This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. We're 24 hours on from the Samba Sean Dyche's Beefy Boys Besting Bayern and the party is still going on. We're going to talk all about the vibes, the beautiful goals, everything that was magical about that night at the Eddie Had. I'm Andrew Detmer. I'm John Ashley. I'm Joe Ritchie. And this is the City Report Podcast. Where is going from? Oh, the goal to keep this extraordinary run going. Sergio Aguero. Unbelievable. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6. It's 2 for Dzeko. Hey guys, uh, long time no see. Uh, good to be on both of you, but judging by your faces, I don't know that you guys agree with that. <laughs> oh, I did up until that intro. <laughs> <laughs> see, you know, why this, I don't we're setting intros. the tone. We're setting setting the tone. Um, so, obviously. I was on the the pod yesterday that reviewed, and so people know what I kind of think about the match, but I want to hear from both of you and start with you, John. You know, you've had some time to reflect on the result, 3-0. It's, it felt weird to record the last one. Does it still feel a little weird to be in kind of that commanding of a position in the Champions League? It, it does. I, I will confess that my, my work schedule yesterday meant that I couldn't watch a whole lot of the game live, and so I had to do a bit of rewatching last night and tonight to, to really get a, a better sense of how the game ebbed and flowed and you know how deserving City were of that scoreline. Maybe that's a conversation for later. But I, I, I think in, in general, it, you know, just a really different City performance in the Champions League. I, I don't think. I don't think we've ever looked more like a Champions League team than we did yesterday, just in terms of the way that we played and the way that we won the game. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like to kind of, you know, backpack off of that, I 
I think when the match ended in like an hour or two afterwards, I was on cloud nine and felt like city were, you know, really they could do anything in this competition. And to some extent I do totally still feel that way. But I think now that I've taken the time to take a step back, um, look at some of the numbers, rewatch the highlights. I, I'm not saying three, nothing flatters city because they deserve to win. And, and realistically they could have had four or five or six goals, but I think, and we'll get to it, but some of the individual performances um, specifically at the back kept this from being what could have been a three, two um, with some of city's luck. It could have been a three, three, you know what I mean? So I think it, it's one of those, you're on this cloud nine, you take some time to digest and, just being realistic about it. I don't think that city are going to waltz into, you know, the return leg next week where they can just get away with whatever. It, it, it could be anything still is, is my thought process. I think those comments are pretty fair. And I think that does naturally lend itself to a question because, and obviously with a three nil advantage going to the away leg defense is going to be important. And, Last night, we saw the return of a system that Pep seems to have been experimenting but has settled on that does give us a semblance of control that I don't think we've necessarily seen from City in the past in defense. So is this kind of control and this almost lockdown defense that Pep has settled on, John, the secret to City's perhaps finally getting to the top and lifting the trophy? I don't know. And the only reason I say that is because it's it's so unusual. When City have as little of the ball as they they had last night, the game doesn't look like last night did. So, you know, thinking about Newcastle away this season, that was so end-to-end, so breakneck and so little control that City had on that game that last night was just completely different. Um, how I, I've never seen City control the game with so little possession before. And whether or not we can replicate that and not concede probably will be the key to, to whether or not we'll win the Champions League. Um, not sure we can adopt that tactic as much in Munich and with that 3-0 lead I think the tactics will be slightly different um, but Joe I'm interested in in your thoughts on that well I mean I think you know defensively for me the biggest thing and I, I know a lot of us have been preaching this but for me it's just consistency more than any other third of the pitch and what I mean by that is personnel um system is obviously a big plus as well but you know for so much of probably the first half first three quarters of the season so far there's just been so much rotation at the back we've seen you know when before he went out on loan Jao Cancelo on the left Jao Cancelo on the right Jao Cancelo tucked in Kyle Walker on the right Kyle Walker tucked in Rico Lewis coming in and then you know just chopping and changing the center backs um but I think we've seen and, and a big part of it is obviously the return to form for Ruben Diaz, but just just keeping this back line of, of Ake, Diaz, Akanji, and Stones for a run of matches. And yeah, maybe you swap out one player, right? You need to rotate somewhat, but 
keeping that core in place is to me so important for anything City are going to do. Um, I think they have incredible talent across the back line from a depth perspective, but again, it's just about that cohesion, knowing what they're going to be doing, especially where they're playing in this new system. Um, you know, I don't think it's easy to just throw Rico Lewis in, even though we know he can play tucked in next to Rodri at an incredibly high level. It's just a totally different player to what John Stones is. So for me, that's the biggest piece. And I think last night I got shades of um, PSG semifinal. What was that? Two, three years ago of, you know, Ruben Diaz making these last last ditch tackles, Sinchenko making last ditch tackles. And, and just every tackle was celebrated like it was a goal. Um, they were bought in from the beginning. And and I think that's what ultimately they're going to need because say they get past Bayern Munich, you're, you're more than likely going to play Real Madrid. And that's a side that can make chances out of nothing as we saw last season. So they can't afford to turn off for even a second if they want to stay in this competition. I think that's completely fair. And it does, it, it's interesting because as we've mentioned, this was a very weird game for City and that we did not have the ball to the degree that we've come to expect with a pep team. Um, you know, the stat was floating around that basically you've got the 2016 Barcelona game that we played uh, where we had less at home. There's a couple other matches throughout it, but for the most part, City have at least 50-50 split possession, but usually a majority. So to only have 44% is quite remarkable. But I think what's even more remarkable, and I'm curious how you guys feel about this, I didn't realize how little of the ball City had watching that match. It did not feel like we were completely being dominated on the ball like from Bayern's perspective, which... It feels like if we're used to having that much of the ball, we should have noticed it more. John? Well, I actually, as someone who was intermittently watching it yesterday afternoon, I think it may have actually been more evident and obvious to me because every time I was able to kind of flick that over, back over to that screen, Bayern were in possession um, and then City broke up the other end and, and scored on, on, on one occasion when I was watching and that seems to be, you know, looking at some of the, the, the Joe sent us a graph uh, just before uh, we got on this uh, this part about the the pattern of play and who was you know making the most offensive moves at what times and the, the first two City goals were during really significant spells of buy-in pressure. So, yeah, it it felt as someone who wasn't able to watch the whole ninety minutes all at once that that was the case. Um, but I, I can appreciate as well. It, it seemed, you know, having the opportunity to watch more of it later, it's, it, it did feel like that Barcelona game that you mentioned. It felt like a bit like the Liverpool game in 2019 as well. Uh, just the, the constant high quality being unable to kind of take your eyes off it and just a sense of, you know, everything that you do has to be perfect for this for this game to go the way that you want it to go. I think even more recently, John, what it reminded me of the most was City's 3-1 victory over Arsenal this season, um, or, or 4-1, I forget the exact scoreline, but in the sense that I don't think City played all that well against Arsenal um, a, a few weeks ago, but they were absolute killers in front of goal. They capitalized on mistakes, which... 
you know, the Tomiyasu mistake for Arsenal and then Upamecano just forgetting how to play football on uh, on Tuesday. So I, I feel like it's it's this next kind of evolution of of City. And I think a big part of that is obviously having Holland in the side, but of just taking chances. And, and it's kind of putting this fear factor when when sides come to the Etihad in particular of you make a mistake. It's not the city of old where we're going to fluff our chances, get 12, maybe make one. City only need two, three chances to really put away a game right now. Um, and, and to me, that's the biggest piece. They don't have to play, you know, their best football on every third of the pitch. They don't have to dominate possession for, you know, 60, 65%. All they need is a couple of opportunities. I mean, who would have had on their bingo card, you know, Bernardo Silva headed goal, Rodri getting his first Champions League goal. Oh, and it's a left-footed curler. Um, I think we all would have had Holland scoring because that's pretty much par for the course at this point. But my point is City are just, I, I think Holland's almost rubbing off on other players in the sense that it seems like collectively as a team, we've become more clinical and and capitalized on chances where they may not be all the back post tap-ins like we were used to seeing or, or the cutbacks or anything, but it just feels like City are kind of reaching this next phase of confidence specifically in this competition. I think that's a, a good point. And it's interesting because, Joe, you mentioned the some of the individual defensive performances and that they, they really did step up. But as much as it was individual acts, it this team does feel like it has this collective spirit. And what it reminds me of is in our run to the Champions League final two seasons ago, we remember the matches where Stones, Diaz, and Zinchenko were basically like, bro hugging every time like one of them made a tackle or a block like it was this moment of everyone was all in to give every last ounce they had to get there and that's obviously true in the defense because we saw it but again this match Jack Grealish making a you know gut busting run to get back to defend rather than just think oh I'm gonna wait up for my chance which is interesting because Someone who used to play in his position for City was on the pitch for Bayern. And while looked good in offense, one of the criticisms of Sané frequently was that he wasn't going to drop back and put in those those efforts. And I think you're right that Holland rubs off in kind of a clinical mentality way. But I do think that there is there's just something about this team now where they're all bought into the system and being together together in a way that I don't know that we've always had. Well, I mean, if you look at the second goal, it, it it's it's one of the strangest goals that you'll you'll ever see City score. Uh, but also one of the goals that I think encapsulates Pep Guardiola's philosophy the best. Um because each of the players that, that had a role in that second goal was playing the wrong position, but playing a position that one of the the other people involved in the move is 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 known for, or doing an action um, that that's, that someone else in that move is known for. So you've got Jack Grealish pressuring like Bernardo to force the mistake force the error from Upen Meccano. Um, he then gives the ball into Haaland, who runs in and chips 
a glorious assist. I don't think that's been spoken about enough, just how difficult a skill it is to stand the ball up like that for the the the, the header, the, the the guy who's running in to head the ball, especially if that guy is not very used to or <laughs> especially competent at heading the ball. Um, but yeah, he, he gets into the area that Jack Grealish is very often in and does the, the Jack Grealish role crossing the ball into the back stick and in the Erling Haaland role is the absolute antithesis <laughs> of Erling Haaland. Like Bernardo Silva, he's, you know, barely five feet and you to, to power home this thunderous header. And I think that is the, the biggest trademark that Pep has. You know, we, we, we talk about how he's improved the likes of Mares and Grealish in terms of their defensive and pressing games as, as, as attackers. But we hear less about how he actually enhances other areas of the midfield and of uh, the defenders just to make them all round more dangerous, um, yeah. more dangerous players. Uh, and, you know, when you see a goal like that, you recognize that it, the players are clearly giving each other tips about playing this very nebulous system as well, where you might find yourself in a different person's role. What do you do in that situation? And when you've got the best of the best, the experts doing that all in one place, these are the kind of results you can get if it's coached right. Right. And I, I think what's funny is some of the things over the years that Pep has caught flack for is, and I don't agree with it, but is saying, you know, he turns his players into robots essentially, right? It's very programmed. And, you know, Bernardo Silva, for example, was this free flowing um, kind of messy like player at Monaco. And then people, you know, criticized that when he came to city, you know, he got pinned onto the right, right wing t- uh, in his first season or so. And it just felt like he was doing the same thing over and over again. And then, in midfield, he wasn't allowed to have the creativity. And, you know, they said it about Jack Grealish last season. And I think, one, while that's just an idiotic point that holds no value, you take it to the other side and you see nights like Tuesday night against Bayern where he he can program these players to become one cohesive unit offensively, defensively, you know, the middle of the pitch, keeping everything moving together. So it, to me, it's it's all part of this bigger picture, like you were saying, John, of, you know, it, it brings the best out of each individual player, but it also big, brings the best out of the team. And I think that's, to be honest, Pep's biggest attribute. I think that's a great place to stop. And we'll return in part two with a little bit more discussion on the game. Welcome back. And Joe, one of the things that we've seen in recent months is some criticism and some some murmurs that City can't win the Champions League or aren't ever going to dominate kind of competitively the way they should unless we replace Ederson. I would say that Ederson had a really good game last night, kind of both in terms of saves and then his distribution. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, he. Um, I thought he was did everything you would have wanted him to do as a goalkeeper. He had that save that stood out, obviously, from Sané down to his left that, I mean, besides the fact that it's down to his left, which can be a tricky spot, it's it's the pace and the lack of height that Sané hit it, hit it at that makes it such a difficult save. And not only that, but 
he he kind of pushes it away enough that it pushes it into the path of Ake, not back to Sané or another Bayern attacker. To me, that save, if, if that goes in, um, I don't recall the exact minute that it happened at, but I know it was early enough in the first half that if that goes in, you know, that could totally change the rhythm of the entire match, maybe the entire tie. Um, you know, distribution-wise, I mean, I've never really felt the need to criticize him for anything in that regard. I, I have been critical of him this season, um, but I think something, and I know, Andrew, you know, this is a, a drum that you continue to beat is, tell me, go find me someone else. Go find me someone else that's better at what Pep needs in a goalkeeper, and then we can have that discussion. And that player doesn't exist as far as I'm concerned. So, yes, he can be rash, he can make mistakes, but at the end of the day, you know, I remember when, when City were t- uh, signing him and I went back and the first highlights I looked at were his performance against Dortmund in the Champions League for Benfica. He made some of the best saves I've ever seen in a single match by any keeper ever. I mean, he he's capable of it. It's just about, I think, retaining his focus, um, making sure that you know, you need you need to be aggressive at times in the system, but re- knowing when to rein it in. And last night, I think, was the perfect example of that. John, do you think perhaps one of Ederson's issues is that in a match like this where he was so involved and had to stay alert, that keeps him at a higher level than some of the matches where criticism comes in, where, frankly, 95% of the match, he is not even needed to be in goal. And then he's got to switch on kind of in a matter of moments to save what are often pretty good shots. Yeah, I I do think that is a factor in a lot of the criticism that Edison receives. I, I don't think there has been a goalkeeper in... Premier League history, let alone City history, who has been as bored for a lot of the games as Edison has been in 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 a lot of Premier League games that he has played in, um, and that does you know that does take your concentration away. I, but you know I don't necessarily even want to characterize it as a lack of concentration. I think it actually gives you the opportunity, you know, Andrew, as as one goalkeeper to another uh, to, to overthink the opportunities that you do get to perform. You know, uh, goalkeeping is is very psychological. It's very in the head. And so more than, oh, I, I switched off and I, you know, I was just being, you know, not, not ready. It's more like, okay, what am I going to do when the one shot on target kind of yeah. comes in rather than kind of, using the training and the instincts that are drilled into you every day. So I wouldn't necessarily characterize it as a lack of focus, just maybe focusing on the the, the wrong things, which is very difficult to control. I think that's fair. I do think it's interesting to think about in this match when you have someone who undoubtedly is a better shot stopper than Ederson in summer. I mean, he probably keeps Bayern in the tie based on some of the saves that he makes. But you, I think, also see the issue of judging a keeper solely based on the ability to kind of make saves like that because Summer also almost cost them at multiple times because of his inability to play with the ball at his feet the way that Ederson does. I mean, I still don't know how Holland doesn't bury that ball on the goal line. Like, I swear he gets a full foot on it and it just somehow still goes sideways. But, I mean... If that had gone in, that that would have completely changed things because 
to go down to a mistake that early at the Etihad, I think Bayern would have just absolutely collapsed at that point. I don't know. I, I feel like... I think it set the tone. Yeah. I, I, I kind of feel like City scoring too early in the Champions League is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> like we, you're we, such kept, a city fan. we kept, I, I know, I know, but at the same time, it's like that's where I think that you know, speaking about concentration and focus, that's where I think the team can switch off. If you score an early goal and it's just like, oh, we're just going to go through the motions that we normally do, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh crap, we're playing Bayern Munich in the Champions League, we've switched off now. Um, whereas the the threat of adversity and, and getting more into the game before you score in the bigger games, I think might actually benefit City because it keeps them switched on and aware of what's at stake and, and the quality of the opposition. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, you know, it's interesting you talk about kind of too early um, because I think one of the other interesting things about this match, and we know that Pep doesn't often make subs, um, He's a big fan of kind of letting... If he thinks things are going well, he's not going to bring somebody on. But I think he saw that there was a chance to kind of switch things and change the momentum a little bit and take advantage and brings on Alvarez in the the 68th minute. And, you know, I would say that that's maybe starting to get to where I'm like, are you really giving them enough time to get a feel for the match? But, I mean, he really did, I feel like, immediately changed the face of the game, Joe. Yeah, so... I kind of have like a, I think it's a spicy take, maybe not. I mean, when, when Alvarez came on for Kev, obviously Kev had been kind of beaten up the the 10 minutes prior. And um, I think for a lot of us at first, we thought it was potentially an injury that, that forced a substitution. Um, And and whether he was being honest or not, I'd like to think he was. Pep said that it was tactical. Uh, for me, I, I don't. Clearly, they're very different players, Alvarez and Kev. But I think Alvarez's ability to impact a match, and we saw this at its very peak in the World Cup, is just as impactful as Kevin De Bruyne. Um, and I'm saying that to heap endless amounts of praise on Alvarez and not bring down anything that Kev offers. Uh, it, it's more just his ability to press, his ability to be clinical in front of goal, his ability to create chances. I mean, that third goal, um, I've watched it over and over again. He takes one step in as a defender right in front of him and and barely has enough time, you know, with his plant foot to to put his left foot around it and put that curler into John Stones perfectly on his head. Um, He had it against, I forget, we had a match recently and, you know, he put a cross field pass and it's like, you forget that he's a striker, yeah, who can draw? Who can drop out wide? Who can drop centrally? I just think he—he he, nothing bad goes on when he gets on the pitch. He, it seems like he's on. We're going to get a goal. We're going to get an assist. We're going to create opportunities. So when he came on, that felt like the perfect time, both for potentially protecting Kev, but also bringing on a player who was going to continue to force mistakes that Byron were already committing themselves. Um, and I think the question now, moving forward, is how does Pep continue to get? the most minutes out of Alvarez because he's basically battling uh, Holland and Kev to get into the side. Yeah. Which I mean, God bless him. Yeah. 
I, I think the pass you were referring to was the second goal against Liverpool, where he, he put it through to Mares, who then squared it for De Bruyne. Um, it, Andrew and I saw him make a ridiculous pass to Jack Grealish crossfield uh, in Houston uh, in his first in, in, in his City debut uh, against uh, Club America, and that was a ridiculous pass. And he just seems to. It's, it's almost because I think he's given that a little bit more time because people haven't, other teams haven't necessarily sussed that he's capable of that yet. Uh, and that's definitely an area to his game that I wasn't expecting to see uh, and, I'm, and I'm very excited about. But in some ways, the the kind of classic De Bruyne role is, is kind of where he thrives uh, and, and where he's he's getting very, very involved, you know, the, even against Liverpool again. The third goal, Gundogan, inside right channel it's 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 Alvarez kind of dribbling through and uh finding I think Mares uh to, to, to give it to Gundogan one in the end. But um yeah just a, a you know I'm not surprised because you know seeing the, the, the footage of his time uh, at River Plate like he looked good but I am surprised how well he's managed to translate that in his first season at City. Yeah, and I will say it's always weird to me when you have your striker taking corners, but uh, he does them quite well, so I'm not going to be upset about it. The uh, The last point I want to address on the episode, guys, is we over the last few years have seen a lot of important players, players who have accomplished a lot with City, leave to go either to other clubs in management roles like Vincent Company. You had Zabaleta kind of finishing career at West Ham. This season we had Zinchenko and Jesus come back. Well, this match, we had two players who I think have mixed legacies at City return with Bayern in Sané and Cancelo. And, you know, all the reports were that Cancelo got booed. Um, You know, I I don't think there's necessarily as much venom towards Sané, but there's definitely mixed feelings on him. And I'm just curious for both of you, start with Joe. Joe, how did you feel kind of seeing them back at the Uh, (laughs) Eddie? Well, I adored Leroy Sané, and I should caveat that by saying I have this like weird of you know love for players that have kind of been shitheads at City for lack of a better term uh Balotelli Yaya Torre Leroy Sané I've had all of their kits I've you gotta always... get a Cancelo one at this point then gotta no, complete the no, collection. no 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 he, he I don't I don't like him because um, they're going pretty yeah, cheap yeah. <laughs> but so it, it is weird right because speaking you know Taking a step back from my love for Leroy, you know, he didn't have the cleanest exit either. And clearly his relation with with Pep at the time, I think that sense changed, was not fantastic. And so there's a lot of similarities to Cantella. I think the difference is, and, you know, you can even pull in Raheem Sterling to this conversation, what happens when you leave the club? And really since Leroy's left, he's, well, one, he's come back to see players just a few months ago, he's heaped praise on the club. He's always posting, you know, pictures of him watching City play. He's even gone and, and you know, heaped praise on Pep Guardiola himself. Now, that's not to say that Cancelo's badmouthed the club, but all the reports that came out about the reason that he left are middle of the season. I think a lot of fans see it as something that disrupted a lot of momentum that City could have had in the beginning of the season that, you know, when push comes to shove, may cost them the title. Um, so it's just two different exits, even though there's some similarities. So 
I don't advocate for the booing. I don't care that he was booed, to be honest with you. Um, but I'm glad that Sané got a warm reception because, again, he has been nothing but positive towards the club since he's left. I think it it was easy for the City fans to boo Cancelo because Nathan Ake has been one of City's top three performers this season, even out of position at left back. And, you know, I, I, Nathan Ake probably starts for City yesterday if Cancelo is still at City and those issues hadn't reared their heads in January because he's the guy you want in that position. You know, he didn't even start for Bayern yesterday. So it's, yeah, there's clearly something going on there that is a personal issue with uh, with Zhao um, that hopefully he will realise after a while um, is actually a him thing, not the... The, the clubs that he's at, the clubs that he's at, and, and maybe hopefully he'll realize in time to kind of rescue his career in that respect. Because um, I don't know, I don't know where he's going to go post because he's not going to buy in. So I, yeah, I don't know where he's going to go. He can uh, join up with his uh, buddy Cristiano in the Saudi Arabian league, <laughs> and they can score a thousand goals together, and no one will care. Um, but that, I feel like that's a, a good spot to uh, to wrap on. Uh, great episode covering what was a great match and look forward to chatting with you guys hopefully uh, sometime soon hopefully yeah, after we uh, nice, survive huh? the second yeah it's nice to get back together but hopefully we do it uh, after a um, you know good city result next week because it would be quite nice to uh, knock Bayern out of this competition that's very it's very um, level headed of you Andrew <laughs> <laughs> I'm very glad that you are not that I'm not having to turn around three times and spit because of something ridiculous claim that you made on the podcast. So I appreciate that. Well, you know, I, I try to uh, moderate my behavior as best as possible, John. Um, but sometimes it's just, you know, I, I can't do it. But uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, everyone. Please share this episode, share the Twitter feed, share the entire podcast with friends, family, loved ones. People you hate, we don't really care as long as they'll listen. Um, and please, if you do enjoy it, leave us a review. Uh, you can find us across all social media platforms at City Report Pod. Farewell, everyone. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end of season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.